Welcome to another episode of Iodelli Speaks. I'm Iodelli Harrison, husband, father of two, 20-year educator. And so, imagine this, right? You are a first-year teacher co-teaching or team teaching with another first-year teacher in with the start of the 2020-2021 school year. So everything has started off completely virtual. Now, because pandemic, COVID is now deemed more manageable, states are federal government, as always want to remain open according to our president, states are now saying it's safer for kids to return to school, some states, uh, specifically here in Georgia. And so the school districts want to expedite this matter of getting kids back in school for a variety of different reasons. Some being to keep them safe, to make sure we're fully engaged. Others would be a little more pessimistic and say it's because of the money. We have to keep them back in school because of the money, right? So you are a teacher, brand new, just graduated the May before, during the pandemic, the May before this school year started, your team teaching, you're having to begin your teacher career virtually during the middle of a pandemic. Now, the state and the district starts to say, hey, we're reimagining or rethinking about opening and we're gonna open on to some sort of hybrid model on October, later in October, like October 24th or 25th. Then, so that's not new to any teacher right now because that's been a part of the district's plans for a while. But then you get into a meeting, a faculty meeting, where an update has come where this thing is going to move. And right now, we could see that this is a school leader sharing or school leadership sharing that we can see a certain portion of our kids coming back. If not all of them, we will know more when we get official word from the district. So there's a lot of uncertainty there, right? And we know that the first year of teaching is wrecked with a ton of uncertainty. Just if we were in a normal school year, right? You'd be nervous about everything. Everything is brand new. Even what you thought you experienced during student teaching is totally brand new. It's flipped on its head because now you are officially the teacher of record. So then in this meeting, you hear that we know that from the least school leadership that some teachers are more, uh, what's the word? They have pre, they, they have preconditions, right? That might make it so that it's not appropriate for them or safe for them to return and teach to the classroom. So they'll continue to teach virtually. So for those who are not in that category, those teachers are then, because they're expecting 80 to 100% of students back in the building, they need to have adults, professionals, in place of all classrooms when the students return. Now, if some teachers, I think you're thinking about the problem here, if some teachers aren't able to return because of their physical health, but will continue to do virtually, we need to find more teachers to actually fill classrooms. So again, going back to this, first year teacher, team teaching with another first year teacher in a subject that you're brand new to, you're excited, you're joyful, you've been working this thing out. Now you hear in a meeting that based upon 
who, which teachers are returning to teach in person, we might have to redistribute everybody across the building to ensure that we have student coverage in every classroom. Because if 80 to 100% of our students return, but let's say 20% of our teachers don't, that's potentially 20% of the classrooms that need to now be covered by whoever else is employed within the building. So what that means is that as a first year teacher, team teaching one subject, there is a chance, and this is what is told to them in a, in a staff meeting, there's a chance that they will be separated and potentially put into a whole nother subject area, right? Or a whole nother grade level, because these are K-5, K-5 educators, a whole nother grade level to do something else. And then whatever support that they were receiving, maybe paraprofessional support, maybe potentially a specific special education teacher that they co- that they also taught in, in, in a triad with, might have to be pulled to teach in another class to make sure that we have coverage of all the students that are returning. So again, first year teacher, team teaching, graduate in a pandemic, start your first year of teaching in a pandemic, which is riddled with a lot of challenges that, but you got your teammate to help you through this. And now you get this announcement. And how would you feel? So, that was the phone call that I got at 5 p.m. yesterday. So the date of recording this is, uh, what is it, October 1, September 30th. So that Wednesdays are a typical meeting, you know, faculty meeting day um, in the education world, as you all know. And so I got this phone call from these t- from these new teachers that are going through this, I mean, I describe their exact experience. They were frantic. They were not upset. It's just it was just they they didn't know what to do and how to process the information. And so because I have you know a working relationship with them, they call me and say, so what do we do? And at that moment, you know, it's like there's this times where it's like I want to keep this real balanced poker face type of thing and I was like holy shit that's what you know because then they went on to explain that what this might mean because some teachers might not return to in-person instruction due to their uh, pre-existing conditions that you know will make exposure to COVID you know will, will endanger them they said that they might pull well all the admin team assistant principals instructional coaches data specialists you name it, principal potentially are being pulled into classrooms to help support. Paraprofessionals might be dropped into classrooms to make sure that we have coverage, to make sure that kids are safe and learning is happening. And so they just they called me. It was it was four of them that called me. Two of which are facing this situation, just really nervous and frantic and. I was trying to keep the poker face and trying to share, you know, how we arrived at the decision. I just had to stop and say, this is a little horseshit. Wow, this, this sucks. I can't imagine what it feels like to just have been told that without giving time to process. And the fact that they are new to teaching. And so what new teachers 
often don't understand that when most public school teaching contracts just really state that you have a teaching position within that building does not guarantee what position that will be. Now, your certification will dictate what you're available to. So if you're K-5 certified, you can't come in and say, I'm only a third grade teacher. You can say that, you can be interviewed for that, but ultimately when the principal or the leadership team hires you, it is up to them to decide. And there's not much recourse that a teacher has to dictate what subject they want to teach. And so many new teachers don't know that they don't know that this is the case. And so when they're moved around because of staffing challenges, principals trying to do their best to meet the learning needs of, of their students, trying to provide the best from what they're given, it means teachers are moved. And many a times it means the younger teachers are moved because the more veteran teachers are veteran. They have more, what's the word? Years into the building, years of relationship with the principal to where the principal usually is thinking about who can I move the easiest? And also, who do we think can actually succeed in that position and succeed with the movement? Sometimes there's veteran teachers, but many a times it's the new teachers that get moved because quite honestly, one, you know that with a veteran teacher, you know what you're gonna get and you know that they might be effective with the group that they have and I wanna keep them in that group. I'm out on a walk here now. Um, many of you guys know I'm in California for a few weeks and some deer literally are walking down the sidewalk eating from a bush, like on a concrete sidewalk. Eating from a bush, and then they looking at me. They looking at me, literally just crossing the street. I'm on the opposite side of the street, and they're walking down asphalt. <laughs> you know, this is California for you. You know, that's California hill country for you, or more specifically, the Bay Area. So, but I know to keep my distance from animals that are demons wild but anyway that's what i'm seeing this morning and later today while well, i'm hearing the air quality here in california uh it's not gonna be good it's gonna be hot and not good here in the bay area so i want to get my walk in early but anyway i digress so the teachers called me frantic and were like well what do we do and i quite honestly didn't have an answer for them I didn't know what to do because there's not much they can do. Leadership, school leadership, makes this decision based upon all the information and criteria and guidelines that they're the directives that they're given from the district. Or many times their area superintendent who's over their set of schools, which comes from the superintendent of the district. And so, like I, I wanted to say like it's gonna be okay but I couldn't you know I mean like this whole you know this I want to be encouraging to them but it's also key for me to express the reality that 
We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how many teachers are going to return. We don't know if you're going to be split up from your team. But load all of that on top of they've never been a teacher of record with students in person. So not only their setup might be rearranged, like they can't team teach with one another, and they might be pushed into a different subject area. Now we got kids, students, babies coming into the building for the first time since March. So that's not like beginning of the school year is frustrating alone, but we're talking about the first time since March. How would you feel? Jesus flipping Christ, like cheese and rice. So they call me scared, nervous, chuckling, laughing it off. Like, oh, well, this is what we signed. So these are new teachers, right? First year, let me be specific. First year teachers. And this is their welcome into the teaching world. Now we couldn't avoid the pandemic, but it's bringing up all of this stuff. So much complexity to this. And we say we want to continue to recruit and retain teachers. And these are black women, young black women who decided that they want to go to college to get their teaching degree, to get their degree in education, bachelor's in education, get their certification. I'm just, so that's their experience. And I'm sure that there are similar experiences happening around the country, especially as, as they say, COVID exposure rates are dropping. More of the states and cities are opening up. All of this is coming to a head. Teachers now, like we talk about the amount of trauma that our students have experienced right? Our teachers have experienced the same trauma too, because they oftentimes have, well, not oftentimes, they are experiencing this pandemic as well. They have children as well. So there's all these interconnected challenges, interrelated experiences that are are hard. And so my my long-term thought is, Pre-pandemic, we were already in a teacher shortage. Many cities, many states were already in a teacher shortage. We now add a pandemic. We now uh, add a social uprising. We now add our president, Donald Trump, not denouncing white supremacy. So basically saying that black people are not welcome. You You should not feel safe in this country. You should feel excluded. All of this is on the backdrop of, I also still got to work with kids. And these kids are returning. Who, Lord knows what they faced. So now we got to be able to figure out. We were, I got to tell you, my, my work in buildings was going, was going well. But it was still tenuous. It was still not the easiest thing to do in an un, non-pandemic time. Now you add this on top. Right, we had school culture challenges. Every school is trying to improve their school culture, trying to improve teacher morale, all of these things. And 
that was pre-pandemic. Now in the pandemic, we're coming back to a school. We're reopening. You know, I, I will honestly be be shocked. I'm not going to be shocked if we have teachers not ret- like quitting the profession. <sighs> Excuse me. I know there are some who are in uh, economic situation and they. So there, there's a few things that are at play here, right? With retention. I know that I spoke to some teachers, they would walk away today from teaching if they could afford it. Just because of the stress, the strain, the overwhelmness, the burnout, all the stuff was that was existing prior to COVID, and now in this pandemic, they will walk away, but financially they can't. So now they feel constrained, they feel arrested, they feel forced back into a space that they already did not feel comfortable in, but now you compound it with students coming back with even more trauma. Administrators coming back with even tougher directives. And then here's one other thing. So like, so there's this, this, this forcing. So what's happening as we continue to reopen schools is some teachers feel like they have no other option but to be there because of financially, that's what has to be. And we all know that we take jobs that allow us the financial freedom that we so desire. And sometimes those jobs, we're not so happy doing them. Let's be honest. Not every teacher is happy doing it. Like it is for financial compensation. And we can argue with this whole idea of like, it's a calling, it's not a calling. Yeah, teaching is a calling or not a calling. It is a job. And we have to know that people enjoy money. People know that money brings some sort of safety and security and I can take care of myself. And there are some teachers who, who really love kids but know that money, the financial aspect, is really, really important to them. And they're not even getting a lot. And so we might have some teachers who, we will have many teachers who are returning reluctantly to the classroom. What, how does that, what type of mentality, what type of openness, how effective can they be as an educator if you're feeling like how effective could you be on your job if you feel like you were forced to come back because of your financial situations and now be in a space where we're facing great amounts of trauma students who've experienced it and will are, are experiencing it i don't know if that wouldn't put me in the best position to do my best work when our best work is now required, our best connection, our best relationships, our best strategies are required now because our kids are facing so much and their families are facing so much. We are all facing so much. So you got that potentially happening, right? Those returning. You got you will have teachers that are returning that are excited. They're excited to see their kids. I've been reading online, you know, social media and so on and so forth. Like, I can't wait to be back with my kids and all these other types of things. I'm excited for that. You're going to have those teachers as well. And then you're going to have some teachers who say, you know what, veteran, I'm a few years from retirement. I'm going to sit this year out. They want me to come back. I'm not coming back. I got a little money in the bank. I can do a little side hustle. I've been doing real estate, selling oils, you know, have a have an entrepreneurial, you know, side side hustle going. I'll work on that and use some of my savings. I'm going to not be back in the classroom. I'm going to step away from the classroom. Then you might have some younger teachers who said, you know what, this is not what I anticipated teaching to be, the experience to be. Because they're young and flexible and, and might not have as many financial responsibilities or just are open to change, 
irrespective of what their finances are, they won't come back to the classroom. So then we have this shortage. So we have a mix, and this isn't the only mix, but we have a mix of teachers who are excited, they're gung-ho, they're ready to come back, they're ready to support students, they're ready to do all their work. You got some teachers who are getting ready to come back who are just doing it because they need a paycheck because we're in the middle of a pandemic and I need to keep the lights on. Then we got some teachers who just aren't coming back. All this in the pandemic, all this already in the middle of teacher shorts. We got to do better, y'all. I, I don't even have a solution to this. All I can do with these young teachers is listen to them, hear them, repeat back to them what I hear them saying, what their feelings are. Because I don't know if it's going to get better. I can't lie to them and say, oh, it's going to be all right. It doesn't always help to explain how the district, you know, the, the, the challenges the district is having, like trying to, uh, what's the word? Um, not make excuses, but but shed light on the challenges that happen from the, the the federal level to the state level to the regional to the to the district level to the actual building. So what I had to do was just listen and honor their feelings and be honest with my feelings and be honest with the concern that I have for them and give them a little bit of encouragement knowing that they've reached out, they're intelligent, they've committed to this, reconnecting them to why they wanted to teach. But then also honoring their decision. It's not my job to talk them out of leaving the classroom as a first-year teacher. They got every reason to. It, they, a lot of them are, finances are not easy for our young folks, for our young teachers that are coming out. But there's a little bit more flexibility. I can go sleep on somebody's couch. I can do this, so on and so forth. So what do we do? And so this is just a, a microcosm of what's happening around the country as schools open up, just or as schools are navigating COVID and the social uprising. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's going to happen to this profession. It will still exist. We will still be teaching kids. But this idea of recruiting more, I'm not sure. Because it's, and it's, it's not always, it's a collection of behaviors that lead to, the, it's a system that was designed this way. A system that has every desire to ensure desire, hope for students to succeed, for students to be safe, secure, for them to be self-actualized, for them to learn and be college and career ready. The concern I have is that there seems to be a lack of concern or strategic effort to listen to teachers, to hear teachers, to collaborate with those who are actually in the classroom with the 20 to 30 students every day to say, how do you feel? Everything is just dictated to teachers, even though the big task of raising student scores, keeping kids safe, all falls on them and all falls on them who don't even make the decisions on how on many of our schools don't have a say in the decisions on how we actually govern schooling or governing the process of education. They're just told to execute, to do, to comply with all the requirements. It's a broken system. Broken system. And so 
some of the things I've been thinking about, you know, just recently about how to, how to, so there is this idea to, to, well, I mean, I'll talk in another episode about some of the work that we're having that's requiring that I'm in as a consultant under our equity center school improvement, this idea of how do we do expand school improvement to not just say how well, like improving student achievement, but also improving how we address structural institutional racism within the organization, the way the organization itself is led, the relationships between teacher, staff, building administration, that organization. If there's a board related to that school, maybe it's a charter school or private school, all of those students, teachers, families, staff, community leaders, school administration, building leader, and then whoever's over the whole school, that could be a district area superintendent or an executive director, depending upon the situation or head of school, all of those people must be included in school improvement and must go through an improvement process, an organization and cultural improvement process for the actual way that the policies of hiring, the way that firing happens, the way that we run meetings, like all of these things, the way that we govern ourselves as an organization need to be improved. Also meaning our decision-making systems and on the school functioning side in terms of student learning, uh, student safety, uh, school environment, that also needs to be improved. But what we're finding in our work and my research is that a lot of the work focuses on how do we fix teachers? How do we fix students? How do we fix families? But not how do we fix the, how the organization is functioning that we know has been created and somewhat operating under by uh, white dominant culture, right? Structural institutional structure, structure, and it, structural and structural structural and institutional racism the how just educating America was started and, and funded and, and how we're growing on it. and so we got to be able to address both at the same time and that's the work that we do with community bill ventures and we do it in partnership with diverse stakeholders to really address educational inequities that happen in classrooms and also happen in board meetings and also happen in hiring rooms and also happen in district administration meetings and decision that decision making process i think i saw um not i think i saw a social media post um the other day that um that said it was basically something like leaders don't make decisions they design the framework for which decisions are made. Let me say that one more time, and I'm paraphrasing. Leaders don't necessarily make the decisions. They do it in, using collaboration with the team, but they are the crafters or the, the curators or the directors. They create the framework for which, situate for which decisions are made. So we have to look at how, what is this framework that's been created? We have to interrogate, we have to pull it apart, we have to audit it to then see, are they aligned with 
anti-racism in mind? Are there policies that are leading to educational inequities for teachers, families, students, staff? We have to investigate that decision-making framework. That's what school improvement is, both how we actually teach our students, create a learning environment, and then also the governing system that is over that learning environment and making decisions for that, or setting up how we make decisions for that environment. So that's, that's coming. So that, that's what we do um, at Community Build Ventures. And so there's a lot happening right now. And I will say, I just, I'll end with this. Our, our teachers, our staff, our principals, everybody that's involved with our educational institutions are under high stress right now. A lot of folks feel like they're not in control, whether they're at the district level, the school level, whether you're in private school, whether you're in K-12, higher ed, charter schools, which is public schools or public neighborhood schools. A lot of decisions are being made or feel like they're being forced. Some of them with limited amount, because of limited amount of budget, limited amount of decision-making power, and they're doing the best that they can based upon what they have. And many times when that happens, it doesn't seem like it makes sense. It might not make sense at the time because I know that as someone who's not working in administration, who's in a building, I'm not privy to all the constraints that they're under. So all we can do or what we can do in this process is one, make sure that we are taking care of ourselves, taking time. If you're in survival mode, taking time to catch your breath, to try and be as present as you can be taking walks, exercising, sleep, drinking water. If you have meditation or, or, or workout, doing that, listening to music, hanging out with good friends, good close friends. It's doing things to survive. If you are beyond a survival point and you are feeling like, okay, I have the present moment, then it's thinking about how the thoughts that often come to me, that I ruminate over, Am I going to lose my job? Are my students going to drive? And it's really figuring out how to see what patterns of those thoughts come up, what triggers those things happen. Because here's the thing, when you're in survival mode, you don't really have the capacity to address many of your triggers. All you can do is just respond to them and try and keep yourself as safe as possible. But when you are beyond that survival point, what you can do is start to address, okay, so what has triggered me? And begin to look at patterns and, and analyze those patterns of when things come up. And then figuring out what are my strategy for when I see this pattern begin again, how do I keep myself safe in that space? So that's how we end up taking care of ourselves during this time. And also, Parents, family members, know that you might not be seeing the best decision making happen by your teachers, but you got to believe your children's teachers, right? But you got to know that they're under tremendous amount of pressure, tremendous amount of stress, and many a times the decisions that have been made have been made outside of their control, and they're only in response mode. So be patient. I just I invite you to be patient. Growing compassion that is sending them well thoughts, being patient with them during this time. They would like it to be better too. Many of our teachers 
are also parents and they're facing, they're, they're leading in this time students. And then they also have students, kids in their own home sitting next to them trying to navigate this. So I think right now it's, it's about finding ways to cultivate patience with people and knowing that we will get through this or we have the wherewithal, the knowledge, we have the strength, the capacity to make it through these times. So wish you all the best. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, dropping tons of pictures, not tons, but regular pictures of black boys, black boys thrive, black boy joy, black boy genius, black, I mean, you name it, black boys lead, support, like, also check out my YouTube page, Iredelli Harrison, just type it in the box, see all the things I've been talking about with education over the past few months, like a video, hit the subscribe button, click the notification button so when I drop different resources I'm sharing, you'll be up on it. I'm walking up a hill. That's why my breath is kind of hard. Anyway, wish you all well. Take care.